right? Praises be to our loving Abba that we are gathered once again to study the words of our almighty God. Now we're going to cover many topics today. Well, not that many, um, but it's basically we're going to talk about some of the holidays that have pagan origins and also questions relating to the COVID vaccine. So let's begin with question number one. There's been a lot of debate online, not only between defenders and O's, but between defenders. The main question being, are we allowed to celebrate Mother's Day and even Father's Day, even though it has pagan origins? Now, this question is loaded because it assumes that Mother's Day and Father's Day has a pagan origin. So I would rephrase the question and ask it this way. Does the Mother's Day and Father's Day celebration, doesn't, does it in fact have a pagan origin? Because when you go online, when you look at Facebook and social media during the season of Mother's Day, there's a lot of information being tossed out. And they're all making the claim that when you worship, that when you celebrate Mother's Day, it is equivalent to worshiping Rhea, who, who is considered a goddess. And so there are those who are insisting that Mother's Day is a pagan holiday, a pagan celebration, because it's associated with the worship of Rhea. Is this true? Is it true that Mother's Day is related or connected to the pagan holiday involving Rhea? A lot of information that is found on the internet today can really be traced to this one source, thescribesportion.com. And in this page, it says, a look into the origin of Mother's Day. The subtopic says, and why you shouldn't celebrate your mom on Mother's Day. And so according to this page, which is where a lot of the information is coming from, according to this page, where is what is the origin of the Mother's Day celebration? Well, let's go ahead and read. According to historians, the first celebration observed in honor of a mother was an ancient Greek spring festival dedicated to the goddess Rhea. She was the wife and sister of the god Cronus and mother to Zeus, Poseidon, Hades. Rhea is known as the mother of the gods and goddesses. Cronus was known as a god who devoured his children and associated with the Roman god Saturn, parentheses, Satan. So according to this page, according to historians, the first celebration observed in honor of a mother was the Greek, the Greek uh, spring festival dedicated to the goddess Rhea. Take note of what it actually says and what it does not say. What it says is this. It says there was a celebration among the Greeks that they dedicated to honor the goddess Rhea, who happens to be a mother of famous gods like Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades. And so this goddess Rhea was worshipped. However, in this worship that is referred to as a Greek spring festival, was it dedicated to the human mothers? No, it was dedicated to who? Specifically, Rhea, a goddess who happens to also be a mother of other gods. And so this celebration was not about mothers in general. It was specifically about who? Rhea, the goddess. And this is how she looks like. Of course, we don't believe in any of this. 
This is all mythology, right? It, they don't really exist unless you believe they exist. How many here believe that Rhea actually existed in the past? We know it's mythology. It's not for real. And so that's how it started in Greek mythology. Eventually, the Romans came into power. They adopted this thinking. And what did they develop? In the ancient Roman culture, Mother's Day was celebrated in the form of a festival dedicated to the goddess Cybele. I want to pause there for a while. According to his or her writing, Mother's Day was celebrated in the form of a festival dedicated to the goddess Cybele. Take note, the mentioning of Mother's Day. It was not called Mother's Day, but this writer makes it appear it was called Mother's Day. It's not Mother's Day. It's a day of festivities dedicated to one goddess, this time by the name of Cybele. And the celebration in her honor, not the honor of mothers in general, but in her honor was called Hilaria after it was adopted from the Greeks and held for three days, March 15 to 18. This ceremony was first observed 250 years prior to the birth of Christ. So Yahushua was well aware of these pagan celebrations during his time here. And so according to historians, the celebration dedicated to Rhea in the Roman culture transitioned into a celebration dedicated to the goddess Cybele. In both of those celebrations, it's not about the mothers. That's why you cannot call it Mother's Day. It was a celebration dedicated to honor who? The goddesses, Cybele, and who else? Rhea. It's not about human mothers. This is why you cannot connect Mother's Day as it is celebrated today in the United States and in some other countries with the ancient festivities involving Rhea and Cybele. There is no connection whatsoever. What is more connected, even though there's no connection between the two, is the celebration called Mothering Day. What, what was that all about? Well, during the 1600s, the early Christians in England celebrated a day to honor Mary, the mother of Christ, by a religious order. The holiday was later expanded to include all mothers. This celebration would be and is still called Mothering Day in the UK and is celebrated on the fourth Sunday of Lent. And so there's a celebration that may be similar to Mother's Day and it's called Mothering Day. But as you will see, the purposes of these celebrations are different. Mothering Day, celebrated even today in the UK, is celebrated like March 25th to honor who? Initially, it was to honor Mary, the mother of Yahushua, because they believed that Yahushua was born on December 25th, right? Well, go backwards nine months, you fall on March 25th is when they celebrated Mothering Day, because on that day, well, supposedly, Yahushua was conceived. And so they honored Mary, but by a religious order, they extended that to include all mothers, Mothering Day. However, that's different 
from the Mother Day that we have today. As a matter of fact, this celebration called Mothering Day, it did not pick up traction. Eventually, it got lost in the religious calendar. And so in the United States, there was no Mothering Day. Have you ever remembered celebrating Mothering Day? No. What we have is Mother's Day, which is not the celebration of Rhea and Cybele and not Mothering Day. This is why Mother's Day is celebrated when? May. Is it the second Sunday of May? Right? And Mothering Day is in March. March and May different purposes so what's the origin then of mother's day not talking about mothering day i'm not talking about the celebration about raya and cybel but mother's day in the united states as we celebrate it today what's its origin does it have a pagan origin does it have a heathen origin let's find out the seed of mother's day that we, we celebrate today had its beginnings in 1858 with someone by the name of Anne marie Reeves Jarvis, who is a Christian, not a pagan, but a Christian lady who was working to heal the nation after the Civil War. Her strategy was to promote and elevate the important role of mothers and help them to create healthier and more hygienic homes. So the seed, the beginning, the origin of the celebration of Mother Day was in 1858 with Anne Marie Reeves Jarvis. Who was she? Well, she was a Christian lady, and she wanted to help the nation heal because it just suffered through a civil, a civil war. Civil war is never good for any country, and she loved her country, and so she wanted to do something to contribute to its healing. What did she think about? The role of mothers, how the mothers can do something so that the country can heal to create a healthier and more hygienic home. And so how was she able to do that? What was her strategy? From this, she instigated a mother's friendship day, which eventually developed into a national movement called Mother's Friendship Clubs. And at these clubs, Anne would teach the mothers basic nursing and safe sanitation practices to be used in the home, which she had learned from her brother who was a famous MD. And so we can see here the, trend, the evolution and the beginning of Mother's Day in the United States. As it has, does it have anything to do with Cybele or Rhea or pagan origins? No, it had something to do with a dream, a dream to help mothers prepare the homes to live healthier and happier so that the nation would heal. Is that a noble purpose? Well, absolutely. It's not a pagan purpose. It's a noble purpose. So what happened because of what she set up here? The Mother's Friendship Day, Mother's Friendship Clubs. This resulted in many lives being saved. And by offering this service to both sides of those involved in the Civil War, it was instrumental in reconciliation process between Union and Confederate neighbors. And so it assisted, it facilitated reconciliation between the, uh, the warring parties, the Union and the Confederate. However, eventually Anne-Marie would die. And when Anne-Marie Jarvis passed away after a long illness, one of her two daughters, what's her name? Anna. I wonder why, her, why she's called Anna after her mother, Anne. Anna decided to dedicate her life to her mother's dream of a Mother's Day 
To honor Cybele and Rhea. Is that what it says? To honor Cybele and Rhea? No. To honor all mothers around the world. Do you see how it's different? The celebration involving the pagan goddess Rhea and Cybele, it was all about those fake gods, goddesses. But here it's to honor who? The actual mothers around the world, right? Anna missed her mother greatly and felt children often neglected to appreciate their mother enough while the mother was still alive. And so she had this, she dedicated her life to establish a way to fulfill her mother's dream to honor all mothers. And because she was a Sunday school teacher and a Christian as well, just like her mother, what did she remember? Well, as a Sunday school teacher for 20 years, at her church, she was very aware of the fifth of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. And no doubt would have taught this to her students. Question, what is the origin of the Mother's Day celebration? Is it pagan or is it biblical? It's biblical because it started right here in her desire to bring about the fruition of her mother's dream to honor mothers all over the world and to satisfy the fifth commandment. She came up with Mother's Day, not to honor Cybele or Rhea, but to honor the mothers of the world. And so she's, what happened after she shared this idea, she shared her desire to bring to fruition her mother's dream. And it was already accepted by her friends. The first such service was held at her church and she handed out her mother's favorite flower, the white carnation. At first, people observed Mother's Day by attending church and writing letters to their mother. So we begin to see the genesis and also the evolution of the Mother's Day celebration. Why was the white carnation given out? Because it was her favorite flower. I'm sure someone will figure out a way home. Is there like a pagan connection between flowers and Mother's Day? Because when you think about it, you can always trace everything to a pagan origin, right? I'm sure if you look for, for a pagan origin of the flower white carnation, you'll find something. And you're going to connect it here? No, I don't think it, it works that way. That's too contrived. And so we can see here that the celebration to honor mothers had an origin that was biblical and not pagan. Because of this idea that was accepted by many, what eventually happened? After much letter writing and lobbying of the governors of Oklahoma and West Virginia, not the Greeks, not the Romans, right? In 1910, proclaimed the second Sunday in May to be celebrated as Mother's Day. The acceptance of this celebration throughout the USA was breathtaking. By 1911, there was not one state in the USA that did not have its own observance of Mother's Day. So it was quickly accepted and eventually every state wanted to have a part in its celebration. This is why the president of the United States back in the 1900s, what did he do? On May 9th, 1914, President Woodrow Wilson proclaimed the second Sunday in May as Mother's Day and a national holiday. It was not long before the Mother's Day celebration was embraced by other nations as far away as Japan, China, Africa, South America, and some Asian countries, including the Philippines, right? And this is why in the Philippines, the way they celebrate Mother's Day, it's similar to the way the U.S. does so. 
Now, when you celebrate Mother's Day today, do you think about Rhea? Do you, do you think about Cybelle? No. Who do you think about? Who do you think about? Your mother, right? You don't think about those goddesses. This is why it's wrong to equate the celebration of Mother's Day to worshiping these false gods. There's no connection whatsoever. Unfortunately, after Anna was successful in fulfilling her mother's dream, what happened? Well, within 10 years, the rapid commercialization and exploitation of this sacred and joyous celebration for mothers caused Anna much grief. She went on to spend her inheritance fighting against the abuse of this Christian-based celebration and said that she wished she would never have started that the day because it became so out of control. Unfortunately, here's an another example of something that's good, that's corrupted by the carnal nature of human beings, right? Because of the, the love for money, what happened to the celebration? It became commercialized and exploited. And so because of this, she wanted to, she spent her inheritance to fight against this abuse. However, it doesn't mean that the celebration of Mother's Day had a pagan origin. This further proves its pure origin, right? It was not for exploitation or commercialization. This is why Anna fought so hard against this movement, but it doesn't erase the motivation and the purpose of why it was established in the first place. This is why we, as members of the Assembly of Yahusha, when we celebrate Mother's Day, we honor our mother, we don't do so in the spirit of commercialization and exploitation. We fulfill the purpose of why it was instituted in the first place. Well, how about Father's Day? Did that have any roots in paganism? Well, this is how it started. July 5th, 1908, a West Virginia church sponsored the nation's first event explicitly in honor of fathers. A Sunday sermon in memory of the 362 men who had died the previous December's explosions at the Fairmont Coal Company mines in Monoga, but it was a one-time commemoration and not an annual holiday. And so this was the seed of the Father's Day celebration. There's no connection to any pagan holiday whatsoever when it comes to Father's Day. The next year, a Spokane, Washington, uh, a Spokane, Washington woman named Sonora Smart Dodd, one of six children raised by a widower, tried to establish an official equivalent to Mother's Day for male parents. And so when they saw this movement concerning Mother's Day was blossoming, someone thought, well, if they have a day to honor mother, let's also have a day to honor father, right? But the day to honor the father did not take on as great an evolution, as great and speedy um, movement compared to Mother's Day. Mother's Day just blossomed right away. Father's Day, it kind of stalled here and there, right? But eventually in 1924, President Calvin Coolidge urged the state governments to observe Father's Day. So they have no pagan origin. They have no roots in the worship of false gods. 
it's not to be found. It's not even connected to the so-called mothering day of Europe. Its roots is by a person named Anna, right? Who wanted to make her mother's dream a fruition by honoring mothers in, that was inspired by the commandment, honor your father and mother. And so why do we say it's not wrong? I mean, we're not mandating you to celebrate Mother's Day, right? But why do we say it's okay that we are permitted to celebrate Mother's Day together with the celebration that the United States uh, does uh, during, uh, is it the second week? Second week of Sunday, right? Okay, so why? Why do we do that? Ephesians 6, 2, 3, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. The Bible says, honor your father and your mother. When we celebrate Mother's Day, can we fulfill this command? We could. However, take note, this should not be the only time that you honor your father and mother. Honoring your father and mother should be a way of life, not a once a year endeavor. And so whenever we think of our mother and our father, it's good, however, to have a special day for them. Would that, would that something that they would appreciate? I think so, right? I don't think they will reject that. But we need to understand this is not meant to be a once a day, a day, once a year affair. It is a way of life to honor your father and mother. How do you do that? Bible says, honor your father and mother by obeying your father and mother. It's the first commandment with a promise added. Well, aren't we being one with the world? If, for example, we celebrate Mother's Day at the same time that the United States is celebrating Mother's Day, are we being one with the world? Because the Bible says, do not love the world, right? Are we violating that teaching? No. When the Bible says, do not love the world and reject the world, what is it of the world that we are to reject? Let's read the book of 1 John 2, 15 and 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world... The cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. So the Bible says, do not love the world, do not be friends with the world, do not copy the world. What is it about the world that we must reject? Not everything. But specifically, the Apostle John tells us what about the world that we must reject and get rid of. What are they? For everything in the world, what are they? Number one, the cravings of sinful man. What else? The lust of his eyes. What else? The boasting of what he has and done. So these elements that is present in the world that we must reject. And so we can celebrate Mother's Day together with the people of the world without violating this command of loving the world by rejecting anything that involves the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and boasting of what he has done. So, for example, if you're going to celebrate Mother's Day, 
and you're going to post on Facebook that you're doing these kind things for your mom just for, to be seen by people so that people will like you. Oh, look at that. Look at that guy. He's such a loving person because he's spending this time and, you know, with, with his mother, he's a loving person. If that's your purpose to promote self, then that is of the world. So it's all about your intent. It's all about your purpose, but it's not, it's, we cannot say that celebrating Mother's Day together with the other people in the world is a sin against God. First of all, doesn't have a pagan origin, right? Number two, we can celebrate Mother's Day in a way that truly honors our mother and also our father and truly honors Yahuwah, our God, by removing these elements in our celebration, okay? So next time uh, Mother's Day, Father's Day comes and these in, the pieces of information will come about again, now you know how to respond to those questions because it's kind of too late. We already passed Mother's Day. How many here celebrated Mother's Day, by the way? <laughs> yeah. Did you feel bad, Brother Maddie, that you celebrated Mother's Day? Was your conscience hurt? No? Okay, good. Did you know about uh, Rhea? No, we didn't even know about Rhea. <laughs> we, now you know. <laughs> we had no idea about these false goddesses, right? Okay, so let's go to the next question. It's somewhat related, and it has to do with birthdays. Hi, poor Brother John. I've got a few questions. What is the official stand of the assembly regarding celebrating birthdays? Correct me if I'm wrong, but some people say that the first century Yahushians did not celebrate their birthdays because it was originally a pagan tradition or celebration. Okay, so now it's not just about celebrating um, Mother's Day or Father's Day, but birthdays. Right? Truth is, the celebration of one's birthday has more of a pagan connection than celebrating Mother's Day. Yeah. And so we have gotten used to celebrating our birthdays, right? But what is its origin? Where did it come from? Because when you think about celebration of birthdays, it did not start out the way we know it to be. So where did it begin? Where could it have begun? Well, we know it started a long, long time ago. The first instance of a mentioning of a birthday was the celebration in Genesis, celebration of Pharaoh's birthday. That was like first instance in the Holy Bible, or only two instances in the Bible. First one is in, when Pharaoh, during the time of Joseph, celebrated his birthday, and also uh, the birthday of another uh, high-ranking person that we'll talk about later on. But where did it come from? Well, originally, according to the lore of birthdays, which is a book, originally the idea of birthday greetings and wishes for happiness was rooted in magic. The working of spells for good and evil is the chief usage of witchcraft. One is especially susceptible to such spells on his birthday as one's personal spirits are about, are about at that time. Dreams dream on the birthday eve should be remembered for they are predictions of the future brought by the guardian spirits which hover over one's bed on the birthday eve. Birthday greetings have power for good or ill because one is closer to the spirit world on this day. Good wishes bring good fortune, but the reverse is also true. So one should avoid enemies on one's birthday and be surrounded by only well-wishers. 
happy birthday, and many more happy returns of the day are the traditional greetings. And so when we look at the origins of some of the things people do on birthdays, like greeting a person uh, well wishes, happiness, right? Gre happy birthday greetings. It is rooted in magic and witchcraft, something we shouldn't delve in, okay? And so that's part, it's there. What else? How about the giving of birthday gifts? Well, the giving of birthday gifts is a custom associated with the offering of sacrifices to pagan gods on the birthday. Certainly, the custom was linked with the same superstitions that formed the background for birthday greetings. The exchange of presents is associated with the importance of ingratiating good and evil fairies on their or our birthday. So again, there is an element of witchcraft and superstition involved in birthday wishes and the giving of birthday gifts. It's also associated with the giving of sacrifice offerings to pagan gods. What else? Well, the traditional birthday cake and candles also have their origin in ancient pagan idol worship. The ancients, the ancients believed that the fire of candles had magical properties. They offered prayers and made wishes to be carried to the gods on the flames of the candles. Thus, we still have the widely practiced birthday custom of making a wish, then blowing out the candles. The Greeks celebrated the birthday of their moon goddess Artemis with cakes adorned with lighted candles. And so the birthday cake with lighted candles that came from the Greek celebration of the moon goddess Artemis. They had a cake and had candles. So maybe you're going to think next time about blowing candles on your cake. Maybe you can have like a, one of those uh, uh, trick candles that when you blow at it, it comes back, right? You got to uh, trick the person. You know what I'm talking about, Brother Maddie? No, no. So you, you, don't, you don't like cakes anymore, huh? When you celebrate your birthday? <laughs> Well, that's the origin of that. And so when we look at the celebration of birthdays, we know it has an origin that, that you can trace all the way back to ancient times, which is true for almost anything we're doing now. When you think about it, a lot of the things that we do today can be traced to ancient uh, roots and ancient practices and pagan practices. When it comes to birthdays, yes. There are elements of the practice that we do today when we celebrate a birthday that can be traced back to pagan ritual, sorcery, uh, pagan uh, worship. This is why we need to further understand what this is all about. Now, also, when it comes to birthdays in ancient society, not everyone celebrated the birthdays because in ancient societies, only members of the nobility were honored with birthday parties. Nevertheless, the nobility often invited townspeople to participate reinforcing the social order in the process. Some historians believe the custom of wearing crowns on birthdays, right? When you have a birthday, you wear like a birthday crown, originated at these earthly birthday festivals. And so regular people didn't get to celebrate birthdays. This is why you cannot find in the Holy Bible, the followers of Yahusha celebrating their birthdays. By the way, the Bible does not tell us we should celebrate. It doesn't speak about celebrating birthdays. It's silent about celebrating birthdays. It doesn't say we should celebrate it. It doesn't say we should not celebrate it. But during the days of Yahushua in the first century, the followers of Yahushua, because most of them were low-ranking individuals, 
they did not celebrate their birthdays. It was not part of the custom, part of the culture. But if you are higher ranking, like who? Mark 6, 21, finally the opportune, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And so if you were a higher ranking individual, if you were an elite individual, you were not ordinary Joe, <laughs> if you were somebody, then you can have a birthday and you can invite people who is also a high ranking and celebrate your birthday by giving a banquet. And so the Bible does have examples of birthday celebrations. One is Herod, the other is the Pharaoh, but it's silent when it comes to celebrating birthday for us as individuals. However, when we look at the argument that it's from a pagan origins, then we begin to question, are we then allowed? Do we not have the freedom to celebrate our birthdays because it has a pagan origin? No, when we think about pagan origin, we need to make a distinction between pagan origin and current practice. What do I mean? Because when we think about pagan origin, almost everything and anything has what? A pagan origin. For example, how many here know what day it is today? What day is it today? Tuesday. Do you believe that today is Tuesday? Then you are worshiping a God, a false God. Why? Tuesday, where did, where did that name come from? Tuesday gets its name from Anglo-Saxon's God of War, T.U. <laughs> Look at that, right? Also known as Tyr to the Vikings. The Romans named their third day of the week after the God of War, Mars, right? That is why romantic languages like Spanish, French, Italian, and Filipino all have, oh no, actually it's Philippine, the Tagalog language was influenced by Spanish, they all have similar names for Tuesday, Martes, Mardi, and Martedi. And so when we look at Tuesday, even the Spanish equivalent, its origin is from what? A false God. Are you going to stop writing Tuesday? Are you going to stop believing in Tuesday? Are you not going to live if it's Tuesday? I'm not going to step outside of my house today because it's Tuesday. It has a pagan origin, right? What else? How about Wednesday? The name Wednesday actually derives from two mighty but distinct gods. The old English word for Wednesday indicates that the day was named for the Germanic god Woden. In Roman languages, Romance languages, the name is derived from the Roman god Mercury. For example, Wednesday is Mercredi in French and Mercuri in Romanian and in Spanish. Miercoles, right? And so you can trace the roots of the names of the days of the week, not just Tuesday, not just Wednesday, but every single day, the months. Not only that, but the wedding rings that we use, that has pagan origin. Practically everything we do, practically names that we encounter in life, present life, has a pagan origin. This is why we need to make a distinction between pagan origin and current practice. It's the current practice embracing the pagan origin. Why 
what is the teaching of the Holy Bible when it comes to things that have a pagan origin? This is what Apostle Paul said, Ephesians 4, 17 to 18. In the Lord's name, then I warn you, do not continue to live like the heathen whose thoughts are worthless and whose minds are in the dark. They have no part in the life that God gives, for they are completely ignorant and stubborn. And so, so that we are able to fulfill uh, our life in a way that pleases the Lord, what must we do? We must not live like the heathen or the pagan. How can we do this? What is Apostle Paul talking about? How can we reject the pagan or the heathen lifestyle? By not embracing their thoughts and their minds. Because their thoughts are what? Worthless. And their minds are in the dark. And so when it comes to uh, things or practices that have pagan origins, what we need to do is remove the thinking and the mindset that was involved in coming up with those ideas. Just like... Uh, some of the practices of pagans like birthdays, right? When you, when you celebrate one's birth, it's not necessarily pagan. But if you embrace the thinking, which is worthless, that was involved in the ideas of birthdays before, then that's what Apostle Paul wants us to reject. Now, what are these things, the thoughts and minds that are worthless and in the dark? Let's read Isaiah. 441, 22, 24, bring in your idols to tell us what is going to happen. Tell us what the former things were so that we may consider them and know their final outcome or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what the future holds so we may know, so we may know that you are gods. Do something, whether good or bad, so that we will be dismayed and filled with fear. But you are less than nothing and your works are utterly worthless he who chooses you is detestable and so what is the thinking of pagans that apostle paul considers worthless and in darkness that he wants us to remove so that we don't end up becoming or associated with pagans and heathens it is the idea that idols or false gods really exist it is the idea that false gods are able to do things whether good or bad it is that thinking that is worthless. That's why Yahuwah was challenging the pagans. Bring forth your idols. Let's go see what they have to say. Let them do it, whether good or bad. And so Yahuwah says, these idols are less than what? Nothing. And so what we must reject is the thinking that there are false gods that actually exist. And the worship involved with those false gods. That's why Apostle Paul, knowing this, that we are followers of Yahusha, what does he do now so that we can find freedom in our celebrations and what we're doing? Let's read the book of Corinthians 8, 1 to 3. Now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. So Apostle Paul, uh, by the way, I want you to read the entirety of uh, Corinthians chapter 8 because it tells us about our, our freedom. 
now that we belong to Yahushua. Apostle Paul talks about people who have knowledge. Sometimes when people have some knowledge, they become puffed up. What does that mean to be puffed up? It's when you think you are better than the other person. You're puffed up. I'm better than you because I know more than you. And so what do they end up doing? They begin to judge and condemn those who don't think the way they think, right? Knowledge puffs up, but loves builds up. And then Apostle Paul adds, uh, these people who think they know something, well, they don't really know what they ought to know. So there are different kinds of knowledge Apostle Paul is making, uh, is mentioning here. And he uses knowledge and acquisition of knowledge as a way to explain that we who belong to Yahusha should build up through love instead of being puffed up through knowledge. Because sometimes, you know, when you get to learn something, you're a researcher, you research something, and then all of a sudden you begin to condemn everyone who doesn't think the way you do. <laughs> That's not the purpose of knowledge. Purpose of knowledge is so that we can love, not so that we can condemn. And so Apostle Paul, after saying that, tells us that we, the knowledge that we have is actually superior knowledge, but there are people who just have some knowledge and they think they know everything. And so what is the superior knowledge that we have as followers of Yahushua? And I want you to keep this in mind because this will answer a lot of things, especially about what we can do with things that have pagan origin. Let's look at Corinthians 8, 4 down to 6. So what, a, uh, so what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? I want to pause there for a while. Eating meat that has been offered to idols. Does that have a pagan origin? Yes or no? It has a pagan origin. Not only does it have a pagan origin, it's a pagan practice, right? And so Apostle Paul refers to that and says, what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? Well, we all know. Remember, we're talking about the knowledge that we have, the superior knowledge that we have as followers of Yahushua. We all know that an idol is not really a god, right? And there is only one god. There may be so-called gods, both in heaven and on earth, and some people actually worship many gods and many lords, but we know, it's knowledge again, but we know that there's only one God, the Father, who created everything, and we live for him. And there's only one Lord, Yahushua Christ, through whom God made everything and through whom we have been given life. So according to Apostle Paul, what is this knowledge that we have? It is the knowledge that these pagan deities, they don't really what? Exist. Yes, maybe there are those who believe in them and worship them. But for us, we have this knowledge. And this knowledge tells us there's only one God who created all things, the Father. And so once we have this knowledge, we are in Yahusha. What can we now do? Well, it no longer matters whether you eat the meat that has been offered to idols. Because after all, they don't really exist. If they really existed, then yeah, it would be a problem to eat that meat, right? And so Apostle Paul says, now that we have this knowledge, that there's only one God. Because when this is being taught in the first century, there were so many people who believed in other gods. Paganism was still alive then. Well, the belief in pagan gods was still alive then. Well, unlike today, today is different. Nobody here believes in Rhea. 
Do you believe in Rhea? Do you believe in Cybele? Do you believe in Zeus? Nobody today believes in those gods. But back then there were. But when Christianity came along, we ha they had the superior knowledge that there was no other God except for who? Yahuwah and his son, Yahusha HaMashiach. And so when they have this knowledge, they can now be free. They can eat that meat if they want, right? Because they have that knowledge. But although all followers of Yahusha should have this knowledge, right? That's the ideal. All should have that knowledge. But of course, what's the problem? <laughs> Seven or eight. However, not all believers know this. Wow. You know, that's, a, that's a shocking thing to say. And so during the days of Apostle Paul, there were believers, followers of Yahusha, who did not have the knowledge about other pagan, that the, the pagan gods didn't, did not really exist, right? Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. They're not used to it yet. They're, they're still getting used to the idea that these pagan gods do not really exist. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as the worship of real gods. And their weak conscience are violated. It's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it. And we don't gain anything if we do. What Apostle Paul is saying, the matter of eating or not eating the meat is inconsequential. It's not important. What's important is our knowledge that there are no such things as real gods. But the problem is for others, they're not yet used to that kind of thinking. What are they accustomed to? Thinking that these other gods really existed. And so it would bother their conscience. It would bother their conscience to eat meat that was offered to idols. And so having said that, those who have the superior knowledge and have the freedom to eat that meat, what does Apostle Paul's caution? 9 to 13. But you must be careful so that your freedom, see, you have, they have freedom now because of that knowledge, right? You must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if others see you with your superior knowledge, eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate the, their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? So because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live. For I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. This is why Apostle Paul said, knowledge should not puff us up. Instead, it should help us to build what? Love, so that we can build each other up. This is why even if you have freedom, you know you have the freedom, that you know you're not imprisoned by this idea that there are false gods. And so you cannot freely eat that meat that's been offered to idols. But there are other followers of Yahushua who are not yet used to thinking that way. And when they see you eat meat that's been offered to idols, they might... They might also eat that meat, but it would weaken their conscience. It would destroy their conscience. And so the purpose is when we do something, because we're allowed to do a lot of things because of the freedom we have in Yahushua, we have to consider our brothers and sisters. 
In other words, when it comes to the celebration of birthdays, for example, birthdays, right? If it's my birthday, it's your birthday, and we celebrate it, it could have a pagan origin. But because those false gods do not really exist, even if it's the day today is Tuesday, even if it has a pagan origin, but if those false gods do not really exist, we're not imprisoned by those ideas. And so we can still call this day Tuesday because we don't believe. It's about what we believe. It's about our conscience. If our conscience, which is derived from our belief that the only true God is Abba, Yahuwah Abba, then celebrating your birthday, even if it has a pagan origin, is okay. Do you get the point? We're not imprisoned by these pagan origins so long as we do not subscribe to the pagan belief that is associated with that uh, origin. And so when we celebrate birthday, do we believe in witchcraft? Do we believe in these false gods? Do we believe in Artemis as a false god? We don't. And so we don't adopt those things. But if we celebrate a birthday, it's up to us. It's our personal choice. Can we choose not to? Yeah. For example, there are people who may be sensitive still to that stuff, just like Mother's Day. If there are believers who are sensitive to Mother's Day because they, they look at Rhea and they look at Cybel, maybe they don't want to celebrate Mother's Day on that day. Well, then it's up to them. It's a personal opinion. So what should we do in the name of love if our fellow believers don't have that same belief as we do when it comes to understanding what is uh, pagan and what is not. Well, let's read the book of Romans 14, 1 to 4. Welcome those who are weak in faith, but do not argue with them about their personal opinions. Some people's faith allows them to eat anything, but the person who's weak in the faith eats only vegetables. Person who will eat anything is not to despise the one who doesn't, while the one who eats only vegetables is not to pass judgment on the one who will eat anything, for God has accepted that person. Who are you to judge the servants of someone else? It is their own master who will decide whether they succeed or fail. And they will succeed because the Lord is able to make them succeed. And so we have different opinions because even today there are those who say, well, we should not celebrate Mother's Day. Why? Because they will say it has a pagan origin. We looked at it. It doesn't have a pagan origin. But if that's their opinion and they don't want to celebrate Mother's Day, that's fine. Is there a command in the Bible that we should celebrate Mother's Day? There's none. What the Bible tells us is to honor father and mother. Maybe this individual will find a different way to honor their father and mother. So it's not a sin to celebrate Mother's Day. And it's also not a sin not to celebrate Mother's Day. It's a matter of what? Personal opinion, personal choice. However, when someone you know, within our group makes a personal choice, respect that choice. So, for example, in their Facebook page, they greet Happy Mother's Day. You should not go on that Facebook page and then all of a sudden put all this stuff about Rhea, the mother goddess. That's not right. You're judging that person. Bible says, who are you to judge one another? We all serve the same master. Can we agree on that? Right? And so it's, a per, uh, it's about a personal opinion. If you want to celebrate your birthday, you can do that. But what should be our purpose in celebrating our birthday? 
in Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This is why when we celebrate our birthday, it's not because we believe in the pagan belief that on that day we need to have, uh, we need to have, uh, we believe in a goddess or a god, or we believe in superstition, witchcraft, or good luck and bad luck. No, we celebrate our birthday because we want to acknowledge our life came from who? God. This is how we give glory to who? God. And that way, we are free to celebrate a birthday, even if it has a pagan origin. But we don't subscribe to the belief in a pagan God. They don't exist at all. We believe in Yahuwah. And so when we decide to celebrate our birthday, it is to honor God, to thank God, because he has given us our life. Okay? All right, let's go to our next question. What is the original Hebrew words for assembly of Yahusha? This is English, assembly of Yahusha. The original Hebrew in Paleo-Hebrew, not modern Hebrew, but Paleo-Hebrew is Kuhalman Yahusha. Okay? All right, let's go to the next question. Brother John, is 1 Corinthians 3, 17, uh, 16 and 17 not against the vaccine? Because it says here, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys his temple, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So the one asking the question is asking whether or not the vaccine, COVID vaccine, um, should not be received if you are a member of the, the uh, body of Yahushua, because it, could, it, well, it will violate Corinthians 3, 16 to 17. And this is what it says in Corinthians uh, 3, 16 to 17, that we, right, are the temple of God. And because we are the temple of God, we should not destroy the temple of God. And so the question is, by taking the COVID vaccine, are we destroying the temple of God, which is our body? Because our body, we, because we form the temple of God, our body is like the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so the question is, are we destroying our body by getting the, the COVID vaccine, right? That's the question. And so this idea that we are to destroy the body or not to destroy the body touches on Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Yahushua Christ. And so the Bible says we must preserve the body, not destroy the body. You get it? Preserve, not destroy. Question is, COVID vaccine, does it destroy or does it preserve the body? Because if it destroys the body, then should we take it? What do you think? We shouldn't take it. If, COVID, if the COVID vaccine destroys the body, do not take it. But if it helps to preserve the body, is it a good thing? Yeah, it's a good thing because Apostle Paul says we should preserve it. Before the coming Lord Yahusha, before the coming of our Lord Yahusha, the Christ. So the question is, does the COVID vaccine harm the body? There's a lot of information on the internet about the COVID vaccine. And so what do we need to do when we get information? Bible says, 521 to 22, test everything. Hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil. Because when you go to the internet, when you watch television, when you watch the news, there's a lot of information, both pro and con, about the COVID vaccine, right? And there are lots of information 
that attempt to communicate to the, popula the population that the COVID vaccine destroys the body in several ways and that it's part of a bigger agenda, not to really help you get healed, but something else. And this is an example of that. I get a lot of messages about this. This is why I'm gonna share it with you. This is an example of how they're trying to make, remember we're here to test everything. One of the things that's becoming commonplace, that's becoming popular now is this idea that when you get a vaccine, you are injecting a microchip in yourself. Have you heard that before? That the COVID vaccine is a microchip? What's the purpose of the microchip? What will it do to you? It's gonna eventually control you. How many of you have heard that before? And so recently, um, to kind of enhance or legitimize this thinking that the COVID vaccine is some kind of microchip that they in inject in you, to legitimize that belief, there have been hundreds, if not thousands, of uploaded different videos of people who received the vaccine and they became magnetized. <laughs> have you seen that? Right? And so if you had like, your, for example, I got a shot right here on my left uh, shoulder. So if I were to place like a magnet on my left shoulder, it would stick there at the place where I got shot. But if I place the magnet on my, my other shoulder or in any other part of my body, it would fall off. But on the side of the shot, it's going to stick, <laughs> right? Because it's magnetized. If it's magnetized, guess what? It's a microchip. So there's a lot of videos that are coming out. For example, like this one. Nothing sticky in the back. Check this out. Yeah. They've been chipped. Yeah. yeah. So what they're claiming is if you get the COVID vaccine, you become magnetized and you can test it yourself. And there's hundreds, if not thousands of videos coming up. For example, this video, it's like an hour long. And there are several other videos like that on TikTok, Facebook, social media. And they're all claiming that when you have a shot on your shoulder, get a magnet, like a refrigerator magnet, right? Place it on there. Wow, it's going to be magnetized. But is that true? Because the Bible says test the truth, right? We have to test for truth. And so I don't believe that. Because I want to test this. Let, let's put this to the test. Can this be true? I don't believe it's true. Why? First of all, uh, the COVID-19 vaccines uh, would have to have a fair amount of metal, right? Uh, so that the magnets will stick the way they stick on a refrigerator door. But the amount of vaccine we get in one dose, it's not enough. Even if it's all metallic, even if the entire amount of the, the dosage that you get in your injection even if the entire amount is metallic, it will not produce a magnetic effect the way you see a magnet getting uh, sticking on a refrigerator door. It's not enough dosage. That's number one. Number two, the Pfizer Biotech COVID-19 vaccine ingredient lists mRNA, lipids, potassium chloride. This is the ingredients, okay? Potassium chloride, monobasic potassium phosphate, sodium chloride, dibasic sodium phosphate, dihydrate, and sucrose. Besides the mRNA, in the vaccines, the ingredients contain mainly lipids, proteins, salts, and sugars. 
lipids, proteins, salt, and sugars are the types of substances you find in many foods and the supplements that you take. They're not magnetic. Number three, even if the vaccine contains enough, let's just say, for the sake of argument, that you got enough metallic material injected on your arm to produce a magnetic effect. Well, when you get the injection, what happens to the injection? Does it stay localized on that part of the arm? What happens to it? When you, when you get the shot, what happens to the, the content, the fluid that comes from the injection? What happens to it? It spreads. It doesn't stay in one spot. And so if it contains metallic material to produce magnetic effect, then your whole body should be magnified. That's why when you, if you're not, if you're not magnetized on your right arm, but you're magnetized on your left, that is spooky. <laughs> that is very suspicious. Number four, uh, showing random videos of everyday people trying to stick magnets on their arms doesn't offer much proof. You have no idea what these folks may be using to make the magnet stick, whether it's some type of glue, tape, sweat, honey, or cherry cobbler, whatever. These days, it's becoming quite easy to all the photos and videos as well, okay? And, you know, I mean, there are those who say, you know, my friends told me they, they did this and it worked. And so I tested it myself, my wife and I, because I already got my second dose. And so we got a lot of different magnets. We went to the refrigerator door. There's a lot of different magnets there. We tried all those magnets and none of them were anywhere part of my body. And so in a way, I was kind of disappointed because I was kind of hoping I'd develop magnetic powers because it makes you kind of feel special, doesn't it? But it did not work. The only thing I got with the second dose was fever and body aches, but I did not get the magnetic properties that people are talking about here. So I tested it personally, and you can test it yourself and look at it yourself, but there are people who really believe it's really magnetic, and so we will not judge them for their belief. But for me, I don't believe uh, it's true. But, I mean, let's just say it does work. Let's just say it's magnetic. Okay, let's say it's magnetic. It doesn't mean that it's just because it's magnetic that there's a microchip in your body. Why? You know how the, what the size of a microchip is? It's measured in microns. The cell is measured in nanos, nanometers, instead of micrometers. So you cannot fit a microchip inside a cell. It is impossible. It's like trying to fit a football field in a cup. It does not work. And so those who think that the, the injection brought microchips into the cells, it's impossible biologically and physically. So do we bring harm to our body when we get the vaccine, the COVID vaccine? Let's read here. Uh, what, what exactly is the COVID-19 mRNA vaccine? COVID-19 mRNA vaccines give instructions for our cells to make a harmless piece of what is called the spike protein. The spike protein is found on the surface of the virus that causes COVID-19. COVID-19 mRNA vaccines are given in the upper arm muscle. Uh, once the instructions mRNA are inside the immune cells, the cells use them to make the protein piece which is the spike protein. After the protein piece is made, the cells break down the instructions and get rid of them. Next, the cell displays the protein piece on its surface. Our immune systems recognize that the protein doesn't belong there and begin building an immune response and making antibodies. 
like what happens in natural infection against COVID-19. At the end of the process, our bodies have learned how to protect against future infection. The benefit of mRNA vaccines, like all vaccines, is those vaccinated gain this protection without ever having to risk the serious consequences of getting sick with COVID-19. So does COVID-19 destroy the body or does it help preserve the body? Based on what happens after you get the vaccine, I would say it helps preserve the body. Why? Because it uses our God-given ability, which, which is what we call our immune response, to help preserve the body. How does it do it? Well, the vaccine that is injected into our muscles contain mRNA, which is basically a set of instructions to create a specific kind of protein called spike protein. Why do they want to create, or why do we want that our, uh, the, our cells produce the spike protein? Because the spike protein that it produces is the spike protein that is uniquely found in the COVID virus. And so without having the actual virus there. And so because it's specific to the COVID virus, when the spike protein is present, the body will detect it as foreign. And so it produces antibodies. This is a natural process. And so it produces a uh, the antibodies that will uh, fight against the spike proteins that is unique, unique to the COVID virus. So in the future, if you get the COVID virus, your body knows how to protect itself already, which is what? Preserving your body. It doesn't destroy because it doesn't bring any harmful chemicals into your body. It gives instructions, mRNA. It doesn't change your DNA. mRNA injection does not change your DNA because after the mRNA has finished its function, it is disintegrated. It doesn't change your DNA. mRNA cannot change your DNA. The only way your DNA can be changed is through uh, genetic engineering, which is not what is happening here. This is an injection. Okay. And so when we look at what the COVID vaccine does, it preserves the body. And so I believe this is a blessing. Why does the earth, why do we receive this blessing? Well, in the book of Matthew 545, in that way, you'll be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. So I believe the COVID vaccine is a blessing from who? Yahuwah God. Is it true that Yahuwah God permits that we go through plagues and pestilences over the years? Yes or no? Yes. But there's one thing we need to understand. In every instance of God's judgment, it's always tempered by mercy. Judgment and mercy go together. Yes, we, go, we went through the COVID pandemic, but we believe an act of mercy from Yahuwah God. He's showing his sunlight and his rain to both the evil and the good is this vaccine. Why do we believe it is a good gift? Every good gift and every perfect present comes from heaven. It comes down from God, the creator of the heavenly lights, who does not change or cause darkness by turning. I believe the COVID vaccine is a good gift from Yahuwah God because it's either a good gift from Yahuwah God or it's from Satan, right? So we need to test that. The COVID vaccine, who could be the author behind that? Is it God 
or is it Satan? Who could it be? Well, what are the fingerprints of Yahuwah God? What is he about? The book of Genesis 9, 5 to 6, God says, Any, anyone who murders a fellow human must die for God made human beings in his own image. Yahuwah God respects what? Human life. Because human life, human beings are made in his own image. And so when we look at things that promote life, that's from who? Yeah, that's the spirit of Yahuwah God. He promotes life, okay? Well, how about who also promotes life? John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Yahusha is the one speaking here. He says, I have come to, that you may have life and have it to the full. So we can see here that Yahusha is also pro-life, right? But who is against life? The thief. Who is the thief? That's the devil. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And what does he use to kill, to steal, and to destroy? John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. And so how does the devil destroy and kill by speaking a lie. This is why if we want to know whether the COVID vaccine is a gift from God or if it's a menace from the devil, we just look at the characteristics. Does it promote life? Does it, does it teach the truth? Or does it kill? And behind it are lies. So we need to test for that. Now, does it mean that everyone who will receive the vaccine is going to improve? Does it mean it's perfect? It's not 100% perfect. Nothing here on earth is 100% perfect. Do you know of any medical treatment that is 100% perfect? There is, there's always going to be consequences or side effects, right? But when we weigh its pros against its cons, the pros is so much more weightier, especially when you consider the damaging effects of COVID. Brethren, COVID is real. It's real. It's not made up. It's not a pandemic. It's not made up. It's real. And if you have like a relative who's experienced COVID, you know it's real. This is why we should not treat it lightly. We should respect it enough that we do something about it. We're not telling you to get the vaccine. I'm not here to, get, to convince you to get the vaccine. No. I'm just telling you, test, test it, right? I mean, if after you do the testing of it, you come to the conclusion, it's not from Yahuwah God, then don't take it. And we, uh, you know, we will not judge you. We are not here to judge anyone who makes an opinion about these things, because that's what Apostle Paul said, right? And so you do your testing, you come up with your own conclusion, you come up with your own opinion. But after you come up with your own opinion, Let's just respect each other's conclusions. Can we agree on that? Okay, let's go to the next question. Uh, isn't it better to just trust God's protection rather than take the COVID vaccine? That's a good question because there are those who say instead of just, instead of me taking the COVID vaccine, I'll just pray, right? And so when they do that, they show a lot of trust in who? Yahuwah God. However, when we say something like that, I'm not going to take the COVID vaccine. 
I'm just going to trust God. What is at play here is the issue of trust and testing God, right? Because trusting God is different from testing God. We want to trust God. We don't want to test God. Can we trust God and at the same time uh, receive help from physicians? Can we do that? Let's read here the book of 2 Chronicles 16, 12 to 13. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Uh, though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from Yahuwah, but only from the physicians. Then in the 41st year of his reign, Asa died and rested with his fathers. Here we have an example. Asa was severely sick, right? But did he trust in Yahuwah? No. What did he do? He trusted in his physician. So what happened to him? He died. Now, can we take this passage and say that to trust Yahuwah, we must reject the help of the physician? That's not what the passage is telling us. What is it telling us? It's telling us we trust, we must trust Yahuwah. We must go to him for help, but it doesn't mean we're not going to go to our physicians as well. That's why it says, but only from the physicians. In other words, he should have, in addition to getting help from the physician, in fact, more so, he should have also, in fact, his priority should have been going to God first. And so what this tells us is, if we are sick, number one, go to who? Yahuwah. But at the same time, you need to also seek the help of a, a physician. This is how Yahuwah designed our world. Ever since the beginning, there's always been physicians. Ever since the beginning, there's always been medicine. It is how God constructed the world. And what is God's methodology? When we get sick, yes, go first to Yahuwah and then go to your medical professional because that is our part. Because to trust God means we do our part, right? And we let God do what we cannot do or what the physicians cannot do. How was this played out in other passages? Isaiah 38, 1 and 3. About that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill, and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to visit him. He gave the king this message. This is what Yahuwah says. Set your affairs in order, for you are going to die. You will not recover from this illness. When Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall and prayed to Yahuwah. Remember, O Yahuwah, how I have always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. Then he broke down and wept bitterly. And so here we have an example of a person who had terminal illness. And so what did he do? He placed his trust in whose hands? Yahuwah. That's why he prayed to Yahuwah, our God. The first thing he did was to go to Yahuwah God. That's what we need to do. You know, when we're facing a pandemic, the first thing we need to do is to trust in Yahuwah God. And so this is what Hezekiah did. He prayed to Yahuwah. He trusted in Yahuwah. And because of his prayer and because of his trust, what happened? Let's read 4 to 6. Then this message came to Isaiah from Yahuwah. Go back to Hezekiah and tell him, this is what Yahuwah, the God of your ancestor David says. 
I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will rescue you and this city from the king of Assyria. Yes, I will defend this city. And so when uh, Hezekiah showed his trust in Yahuwah, because he prayed to Yahuwah with repentance and tears, what did Yahuwah say? He said to Isaiah, the prophet, he said, go back to Hezekiah, tell him, I will add 15 years to his life. So because he trusted Yahuwah, Yahuwah said to him, you're going to live another 15 years. But does it mean Hezekiah will not do anything else? After this, what did Yahuwah, through Isaiah, instruct Hezekiah to do? 38.21, Isaiah had said to Hezekiah's servants, make an ointment from figs and spread it over the boil, and Hezekiah will recover. Notice that Yahuwah has already pronounced that Hezekiah is going to live how many more years? 15, right? He assured Hezekiah is going to happen. However, it doesn't mean there's nothing for Hezekiah to do. What else does he have to do? Receive treatment. In during those times, what treatment was it? It was ointment from figs. This was their medication. This was their treatment during that time, administered by the doctors during that time. And so what Yahuwah is telling us, not only in the story of Asa, but also here in the story of Hezekiah, is that when it comes to our healing, Yahuwah God will do his part, but we have to also do our part. And Yahuwah God is telling us, turn to him first and also turn to our physicians. Okay? Can Yahuwah God heal us by himself? What do you guys think? Yes. But it doesn't mean that Yahuwah God does not want us to seek the help of medical professionals. And so to trust God, we must go to him first. But what does it mean to test God? Well, let's go look at an example of testing God. Matthew 4, 5 to 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Here we have Yahusha, and he's tempted by the devil. What did, the devil, what did the devil want him to do? To go to the highest part of the, uh, the temple. And he said to jump. <laughs> He's basically telling Yahusha to do something that will require a miracle, right? Because for Yahusha to go unscathed after jumping from such a high place, Yahuwah God would have to send his angels and a miracle is going to happen. Wouldn't that be nice? I mean... Just thinking, about, just thinking about what I would have done if I was in Yahusha's place, that would have been nice. Because Yahusha at this time, he, was, he received a testimony from the Father just 40, 40 days ago. A testimony was after John the Baptist, the Baptist baptized him, and the voice from heaven said, You are my beloved son, of whom I am well pleased. And so he knows he's the one. He's the Messiah. He knows that, right? But, you know, if you were like, if for me, okay, just for me, I want to see proof of that. 
I want to see a miracle that is really me, right? And so this would have been perfect time. If I jump and I am protected, that's a miracle. And so the devil, thinking that uh, Yahushua was like me, <laughs> I would have probably got overwhelmed with the temptation, but Yahushua is different, right? So Yahushua, when he was offered this, an opportunity to see a miracle, to prove that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, because the devil says, if you are the Son of God, so he's, he wants to, he wants Yahushua to prove to himself that he is the Son of God by throwing himself down. And so after this temptation, what did Yahushua say? Verse 7, Yahushua answered him, it is also written, do not put Yahuwah your God to the test. You see, when you put God to the test when you force Yahuwah to perform a miracle for you, right? You, that's how you put him to the test. It's like people who say, you know, you are a son and daughter of God. You prayed for that food. You can eat whatever you want. And so they eat all the pig fat, <laughs> right? I'm a, I'm a child of God. God will protect me. You're testing God. Or maybe you're, you're feeling some kind of physical symptoms, but you don't want to see a doctor. Oh, I'm just going to pray. You're testing God. See, when we don't do our part, because we, we want God to prove himself that he is God by doing a miracle for us, that's testing God. Bible says we trust God, not test him, right? That's why to trust God is to do our part in resolving our problems and wait for him to do what we cannot. That's trusting God. To test God is to force him to perform a miracle, to cover up for our, our irresponsibility. And so for those who do not want to get the vaccination, we're not forcing you to get the vaccination. But what we're telling you is this, if you will not get the vaccination, then you have to be careful with how you live. You should not expose yourself. You should not go to where people are gathered together as though it was still normal times. Because if you do that and you say to yourself, but I am a son of God, I'm a daughter of God. I trust God. I don't trust the, the, the vaccination, I trust God. And then you go out into those social events without wearing a mask, without following those pro-safety protocols because, hey, I have gone. What are you doing? You are testing God. We're not telling you, brethren, to get the vaccination if you don't want. We're not, we're not going to tell you if you don't get the vaccination, that's a sin. No. What we are saying, what we are telling you is do your part to protect yourself. Okay? So if... Your part in protecting yourself is staying at home. That's good. You don't need to get the vaccination. If your part to protect yourself is wearing a mask and following the safety protocols, okay, you don't have to get the vaccination. We're not telling you to get the vaccination. We understand and respect your opinion. Okay? It's your body. <laughs> it's your body after all. But, all. but also remember this. If you decide not to get it at the same time, do your part to protect yourself. Do not be irresponsible because you think that Jehovah God's going to protect me because that would be testing God. You must trust God. Don't test him. Trust him. 
by doing our part and let God do what we cannot do on our own. Okay? All right. That's our lesson for uh, tonight. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father. Yes. Yahuwah Abba. Yes. Thank you so much for the blessings that you have given us. Amen. Thank you so much because you show mercy upon your people. Yes. And thank you, Father, for giving us the guidance of your holy words. Amen. We ask that you please remember and bless your people throughout the world. Yes, Those who are afflicted with any kind of disease. Yes. We approach you humbly to ask for your blessing. Yes. And may we ask, Father, for your blessing upon the physicians. Medication that we take. Amen. Please keep us away from the harm that COVID brings. Yes, may you be the one to protect your people. Yes. Yet we know our responsibility. That we must do our part as well. Yes, to Father. safeguard ourselves and our loved ones. Amen. Yahushua, our King. May yes, you please Father. help us to understand the will of our Alma. Yes. Help us to do our best to please you. Yes, and to Father. please our Father. Please continue to strengthen our faith. Yes. And help us to remain faithful until the end. Amen. Father, thank you so much for listening to our prayers. Yes, for blessing your people always. Yes, we ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.